Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. Very good afternoon to you and a warm welcome to Fresh Thinking on this uh, somewhat cool day. Just as we are heading towards Tisha B'Av, quite frankly, as far as I'm concerned, the main thing about Tisha B'Av is let's get out of this period of the year. And talking about getting out of things, it seems that Mark Zuckerberg got himself into and tried to get out of a spot of bother with some comments about Holocaust denial on Facebook. I'd like to hear your thoughts and opinions on that. That's actually what we're going to be talking about today. As always, you can SMS 34519. You can tweet at FM. Tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. Let's talk about this. If you're familiar with the story, if not, I'll bring you up to speed. But I definitely think it is something that we should be addressing. Your thoughts in just a moment. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. Okay, so it is a time of the year where, as a Jewish community, we focus quite a lot on things that were tragic in our history. This coming weekend will be Tisha B'Av, and we say this because we really do wish that it, this Tisha B'Av won't be a day of mourning as it has been for the last almost 19 and a half hundred years. So by now we've had enough of it. We've mourned enough. It is time for Simcha and for Uplifim. But the fact of the matter is that this is the time of the year where we focus on things in our history that are part of the tragedy of what's, uh, I don't want to say Jewish history was a tragedy, but there was plenty of tragedy throughout the course of Jewish history. And so it really caught my eye that Dafka at this time of the year, when we are thinking about those horrible periods in our history, starting, of course, with the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem 1,948 years ago and continuing through the horrible experiences under the Roman Empire, the difficulties that the Jewish people had in various places of exile. And then, of course, in our most recent history, the Holocaust. So it, it wasn't, a, it, it wasn't a, a surprise, I suppose, that there should be a topic of Holocaust that came up in conversation this week, very much on the world media stage, but not exactly what we wouldn't expect or what we would have expected. So here's the story. I don't know if you picked it up or not. Essentially, what happened was they claim uh, a bit earlier this week, apparently, Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook made an announcement saying that he felt if people on the Facebook platform would make comments about Holocaust denial, it is possible that those comments could simply be uh, mis what was the word that he used that he used I think misdirected or almost as if to say like a, a genuine error, and therefore they should not necessarily be expunged from. Facebook. Now, the place went crazy. Uh, the Def Anti-Defamation League in America, I think, led the charge. But on social media, people had a lot to say about this. I mean, can you just imagine? It almost sounded for a moment as if he was uh, okay with the concept of Holocaust denial. And he's now tracked back a little bit. And the latest statement, which I think came out, I think it came out today, probably came out yesterday, to be honest, uh, was that he says something along the lines of, 
He absolutely did not intend to defend the intent of people who deny the Holocaust. In other words, he wanted to say that there is misinformation out there and it happens and not everybody who spreads misinformation is necessarily doing so deliberately. Sometimes people just don't know any better, so they share the information that they are familiar with. And now he's try to pedal back a little bit and say, hang on a second, I'm Jewish myself. And I'm appalled by what happened during the Holocaust, and God forbid, do not intend in any way to support the intent. I think that's an important important part of his phrase over here. I didn't intend to defend the intent of people who deny the Holocaust. So I'm curious what you think about the whole thing. I'm curious what you think, A, about the fact that a guy like Zuckerberg, a, a fellow Jew, should be able to even make a statement that could be construed to imply that Holocaust denial might have a place and might deserve a platform. How do you, th- how do you feel about that? And then, of course, the scaling back that happened afterwards. Do you feel that's genuine? Do you feel that perhaps he was just under pressure? Does it work that way? Can you do that? Can you one minute say something which is so incredibly hurtful and offensive to so many people? I mean, if you speak to people who themselves are Holocaust survivors, of course, there are fewer today than there would have been 10, 20 years ago. But you'll see often that people will say things which are far more innocuous than a statement like that, and it would go down wrong, and it would deeply, deeply hurt people who themselves are Holocaust survivors. So, so do we do we accept it? Is it is it okay for a person after to say, "Oh, so that's not exactly what I meant"? Especially, especially considering that the content is still allowed on Facebook. That means to say that if somebody should on Facebook share Holocaust denial, it's not going to be automatically. Removed, and you'd have to somehow motivate for it to be removed, either that it's hate speech or that the person intentionally wanted to delegitimize the history of the Jewish people or something like that. So it's interesting. Can you just, can you just fix these things <clears throat> with, a, with a glib apology? Does it work that way? And what does it say? Maybe we've reached a stage in the development of the Jewish people considering the ages of who the big voices are in the world today, where maybe the Holocaust is not as much a part of their lives as it was for us who grew up with grandparents who were Holocaust survivors. And maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe there is such a thing as you get to a certain point where we don't have to define ourselves by the history of what was really morbid and difficult. I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting conversation. And there's a specific angle that comes to light when you are just before Tisha B'Av and you consider the fact that 1,948 years later, we're still mourning an event that happened in a different country to a group of people that – uh, yes, they're Jewish and they are our ancestors, but quite honestly, we didn't really know them. So what is it? Is it a good thing? Is it an unhealthy thing to get to a point in a piece of history or to get to a point in the development of a nation where you can say, okay, we're going to put that behind us? I think that this raises a lot of interesting kind of conversation. So 34519, if you'd like to send in an SMS just with some thoughts and opinions on that, because I imagine that there will be many opinions on it. Of course, you can always tweet, as people always like to do, at Chai FM. You can tweet me directly, at Ravashish, if you prefer. And you can email. You can email on air at chaifm.com. And I think the WhatsApps are working, right? Craig, WhatsApps, yes. If people know the number, the number is 0618951019. So you can try that too. I'd like to hear your thoughts on this particular one. It's definitely going to, uh, 
I think is going to be part of the conversation for quite some time, uh, at least for the next. Oh, okay. How do how do we do that? Okay, Craig's going to have to show me how you can send a message by Telegram. Now there we go. Moving up in the world of technology, I'll give you that one. Oh, there we go. Oh, so Telegram is now oh six one eight nine five one zero one nine. Is that correct? Have I got it right? Oh six oh six one eight nine five one zero one nine is Telegram, not not uh, necessarily WhatsApp. Okay, good. Good to know these things. So that's uh, – see, there's a number of thoughts and opinions coming through, as always happens with this kind of a topic, because at the end of the day, it is a topic I think that is relevant to all of us, especially if you grew up in the kind of family where there were Holocaust survivors. If you grew up in a family where you had your own grandparents who lost family members or may- maybe even your own parents lost family members. So it's definitely a topic that's close to home. When we talk, on the other hand, about Tisha B'Av and we talk about the history of the destruction of the temple – that's not so close to home to too many people. So, we, you know, we'll, we'll try and balance this whole thing. So, love to hear your thoughts on that. And I know that there will be, as they always are, there will be many. Here on Twitter is a very cynical, I suppose, a very cynical view of Mark Zuckerberg in particular. Says, I think he's making excuses because making money is more important than doing the right thing. Well, there you go. That's quite an indictment. Uh, assuming, of course, that to be true because we don't know. We don't know what the motivation of the person is. But it does seem like it's certainly a possibility. What, what do you think about that? Is, is it possible? Do we have a segment of the Jewish community or a generation rising in the Jewish community who perhaps is a little bit more, more uh, concerned with making a buck than they are with standing up for what's right? Interesting. Interesting perspective. It's, it's, it's particularly interesting to me because this is a time of the year where we mourn the loss of a certain value set that the temple represented. It's not just that we lost a building. It's that we lost a certain value set. And perhaps part of that value set is that there are certain things that are more important than money, like the things you believe in or like the preservation of something that's really central and important to your heritage and culture. So, yeah. What are your thoughts on Mark Zuckerberg, Holocaust, denial on Facebook, and how it all connects to Tisha B'Av? Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. Okay, so exploring the recent uh, somewhat explosive comments by Mark Zuckerberg, trying to defend the fact that on social media, on the Facebook platform, there are people who are able to share Holocaust denial and Facebook won't apparently take it down. So in his defense of the policy, which, by the way, includes various other kinds of so-called fake news or the uh, conspiracy theories, which, let's be honest, they are all over the place. It's not only a Holocaust thing. You go onto Facebook, you're going to find all kinds. Oh, can you really control this? I mean, at the end of the day, you've created an opportunity for people to interact. You've created an opportunity for people to voice their views. We have ensconced free speech as such an important part of democratic modern living. So what are you going to do? Start policing everything that a person says? So in a, in a certain sense, you kind of hear where he's coming from. But on the other hand, when you consider that in a place like Germany, Holocaust denial is an offense, it's illegal, and so therefore Facebook has to, on their platform for German users or users in Germany, they actually have to expunge Holocaust denial speech because then otherwise they'd land up on the wrong side of the law. So, yeah, 
I don't know if it's necessarily so acceptable for a person to say, free speech, go ahead, say whatever you want. You've got to be careful with that. There's a fine line, all kinds of things that can happen over there that could be really damaging to people. So I wonder what you think. It's not so much about the Facebook policy necessarily as it is about the way that he said it. Uh, almost whitewashing, almost saying, yes, you have to understand that people share things because they don't know any better. Well, is that good enough? Is that good enough? Yes, Catherine. Catherine thinks it isn't. Catherine says, I think all misinformation is dangerous. It is disingenuous to say that if people don't deliberately get it wrong, it should stay. Why support stupidity? So again, maybe in a perfect world, because once you create the kind of I mean, all of these things, which are basically crowdsourcing platforms at the end of the day, you, you don't control it. You can't control it. So understand that sentimentally we say, no, you can't allow that kind of voice to be heard practically. I don't know if it is practical, but the, the conversation here today is not about the practicality of it. So I'm sure there are people out there who feel very strongly that it can't be done. Maybe what are you supposed to do? Shut down Facebook. Somebody else will uh, pop up. The question really is in terms of perspective, and the reason it's a question of perspective is because it's, it's, very, it's, it's very nice after the fact. After you've made a statement, we say, listen, I don't think it's so bad if people spread Holocaust and Holocaust. Maybe they don't know any better. So, well, is it good enough afterwards to turn around and say, oh, sorry, I don't really mean it that way. And, and if it sounded like I was endorsing a perspective, I really wasn't. Is that necessarily good enough? I don't, I don't know if it's good enough. Um, and it seems like a bunch of people don't think that it's good enough. Yes, Mervyn by SMS says, everyone knows the Holocaust happened. So, but they say it didn't just because. Greed says it all. I'm not on Facebook. Well, there you go. There's conscientious objector to Facebook. And I wonder if it's just for this reason, possibly for other reasons as well, Mervyn, I would assume. I can think of a bunch of good reasons actually not to be on Facebook. And that's coming from somebody who was an early adopter and very much still on Facebook. But anyhow, subject for another conversation. We're talking today specifically about the concept of Holocaust denial. And I'm just using Mark Zuckerberg's comments because they are somewhat explosive just to get the conversation started. Although I think the conversation goes beyond Facebook and it goes more to the heart of what happens when you have a society that accepts the denial of a genocide against a nation. Specifically, let's call a spade a spade for us as the Jewish people. Genocide against us, an attempted genocide against us wasn't the first in history. And sometimes you wonder if when we say never again, if there are necessarily guarantees. Uh, yeah, he has an interesting one. This is Gil on Twitter. So Gil says, it's a rather long message. I'm going to read it anyway. Gil says, I stand with Oliver Wendell Holmes. We should be eternally vigilant against attempts to check the expressions of opinions that we loathe and believe to be fraught with death. That's the quotation. Then he continues. He says, let Holocaust deniers compete in the market of ideas. The alternatives are worse. I don't know. Let, let's test that theory for a second. So Gill is advocating that, of course, it's really, really important to allow people freedom of expression, even to be able to say things that you and I don't agree with. I, I'm, by the way, I'm not so sold on the whole freedom of expression thing for a variety of reasons. I think that people often use it quite, uh, you know, selectively, to be honest. Freedom of speech for me to say what I believe, not necessarily for you to say what you believe. But that's subject for another conversation. 
what Gil is suggesting over here is let Holocaust deniers compete in the market of ideas. Now, there's a there's an assumption over there that that that, that you're making. The assumption is that in this marketplace of ideas, there is some kind of standard of intellectual integrity, and I don't think there is. So I, I'm personally not sold on the thought that allow people just to express themselves because the truth will prevail because everybody's smart enough to work it out for themselves. No, I, I don't think they are. I don't think people are necessarily smart enough. Certainly not a good portion of the world's population are not smart enough to work it out for themselves. You know, people are brainwashed into all kinds of crazy things. It happens in every society. And it happens on a regular basis. So if you have a society that says Holocaust did not happen, you only have to look at what's going on in the Arab world and how – Holocaust denial is very much part of the education of entire nations, of entire groups of people, and it is with an agenda. The world marketplace of ideas, there isn't an open conversation necessarily happening in those places. There isn't the opportunity to to share a dissenting view. So what marketplace of ideas? I don't know. I think personally that, in fact, sometimes you've got to stand up and call a spade a spade. You've got to tell, you've got to tell the truth. There's an expression, beautiful expression that the Torah uses where Hashem tells the prophet Zechariah, he says, um, go and tell the Satan. Satan, of course, is not a being that fights God per se. It's a creation of God. But nevertheless, he says, Yig'ar Hashem Satan, that Hashem will be, how do you say Yig'ar, will disparage you, the Satan. And the sages say a very interesting thing, that when there is intellectual dishonesty, when there's an evil perspective, in other words, that means to say when there's a perspective in the world that can't be supported by values, by morals, by truth, then you have to say straight, you have to be disparaging of that view. You have to say straight, that is false, cannot be said. Sorry, does not have the opportunity for a platform in the marketplace of ideas. You might obviously feel differently, in which case you can go with Gill's view and um, absolutely, by all means, share your thoughts on that. Sean has an interesting observation over here on Twitter, which I don't think necessarily speaks to the angle that we're going from. But so, uh, Sean says, as the head of a private company, Zuckerberg has the right to decide what content he hosts but then he's responsible for the consequences of his decisions true absolutely not really i don't think the angle that we're going to explore today i'm much more interested in whether we are and let's put it slightly differently so yes okay we get it holocaust denial bad absolutely bad should never be allowed that's the kind of thing that leads to further genocide that's the kind of thing that leads to to hate speech that's the kind of thing that leads to uh Diminishing the value of people And so on and so forth it's, it's a very, very slippery slope So we get that Here's the other side of the question The other side of the question is Would it be ever Would it ever be The kind of thing that people Would be justified to turn around to us As the Jewish nation And say, listen You need to move on from the Holocaust You're too obsessed with the Holocaust It's too central to your Jewish experience Is there ever A uh, Merit to that particular to that particular argument because it is an argument that exists. I think it's an argument we've actually heard here sometimes, even in this country. Certainly, an argument that's popped up in places in Eastern Europe over the years and in academic America, where people are saying, "Look, it's time to move on. The Holocaust survivor generation is rapidly disappearing, and we don't have to." And, and I think that there's. There is definitely merit in saying we don't have to define ourselves by the Holocaust. Definitely merit in that. But not to be obsessed, not to talk about it, not to think about it. Is that necessarily a Jewish perspective? And when you take into consideration, and I definitely want to reference it in context, because this Saturday night, Sunday, unless, please God, 
Mashiach gets here beforehand and sorts us all out for us. We're headed towards Tisha B'Av. Tisha B'Av is a day where Jews across the world, many of them not necessarily observant Jews, will mourn and go through, go to shul and participate in a national mourning over the fact that we had the very first Jewish Holocaust, really, 1,948 years ago. And people there can also say, gee, maybe you need to move on. So they, so they destroy the temple. Maybe you need to move on. And that's really where I think the core of today's conversation actually sits. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that if you do have an insight. So the ways to share it, three, four, five, one, nine. That is, seems to be the most popular way right now on SMS. Otherwise you can use Telegram, oh, six, one, eight, nine, five, one, oh, one, nine. Or you can tweet and there are a bunch of tweets coming through at Chai FM at Rabashish. You can also email on air at chaifm.com. What do you think about the notion, so to speak? Let's move a little bit away from Zuckerberg. Let's talk more about the notion of moving on. Jews should move on. We don't want to hear your Tzoros anymore. We don't want to, don't define yourself by the Holocaust or by the loss of a temple. Who knows how many years ago? Almost getting up to 2,000 years ago. What would you respond to that? Do you think that it's a good point? Do you think that it's justified? Do you think that it's something we have to say, no, 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 hang on a second. I think maybe almost for some people it's almost like some kind of a cultural security blanket. You know, we've got to hang on to it. I'm not talking from that perspective. I'm talking from the lest we forget perspective. How important in Judaism is it to ensure that we don't forget those terrible things that happened to us? Uh, interesting, interesting here. Yeah, Rami says, I think to forget would be to lose a part of who we are. Mm, okay. So it, I, I'm worried about that. Is it to, to lose a part of who we are? That's what worries me a little bit is, is to define ourselves by loss, to define ourselves by devastation. I recently had a conversation with somebody who used a very interesting phrase in reference to themselves and said that they were addicted to loss. Very interesting concept. So as a Jewish people, we have to be careful not to be addicted to loss. My suggestion is not that we become defined by the loss, defined by the Holocaust, defined by the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, that it should not become a part of our identity. It's part of our history. It doesn't necessarily have to be part of our identity. But having said that, surely it's got to be something which remains front and center of our thinking for a variety of reasons. And again, when I say front and center of our thinking, I'm not saying to think about, oh my gosh, lurking around every corner is an anti-Semite. We need to be ready to confront them. That's not the suggestion. More from the perspective of, well, what's our role as a Jewish people? Why, why is it that throughout history we've had so much difficulty, so much challenge by people who seem to really not like us? What is it that we're doing or have done or continue to do that really gets people's backs up? You know, it's, it's interesting because somebody sent me a message out of the blue. I think it was yesterday. Literally out of the blue. Person I don't know. That's what happens on social media. So it's a person I don't know. Sent me a message and said they feel so – I don't even know if this person is necessarily a Jewish person. Said they feel so upset about the Holocaust. What could they do to take revenge? Now, what happens is when you become defined, when you consider your identity because of tragedy, because of loss, then maybe that is what happens. And you start to think, well, how can I take revenge? And that's not a Jewish thing, even though Judaism does 100 
100% believe that there have to be consequences for actions, that people have to be held accountable, that perpetrators have to be brought to book. We believe that 100% we have a legal system. The legal system includes various forms of punishments, including a death penalty. We, have, we just read it in the Torah reading not so long ago. Uh, when I say not so long ago, literally a few days ago, where after a particular incident when the Midianite people attacked the Jews, we have a clear instruction from God, never forget, well, it doesn't say this, not never forget, that's the nation of Amalek, but the nation of Midian, it says, go out and take vengeance against the people of Midian. So that we believe, absolutely, if a person is an evil person and they've done something to harm, then there has to be some kind of a recourse. I'm not talking about vigilantism. There has to be some kind of a recourse. Having said that, so this person asked about revenge, and I said, well, hang on a second. Well, what would the revenge be? What would the revenge be? I'll tell you a beautiful story that happened to me. I've told the story numerous times. So a couple of years ago, my wife and I were in Israel, and we went for literally for one night to stay over in Tiberias. And by the way, next time you're in Israel, you've got to spend time in Tiberias. absolutely beautiful part. Besides that, it's one of the four holy cities, Jerusalem, Hebron, Tzafat, and Tiberias. But besides that, it's just a beautiful part of the country. Anyhow, so we, we're checking into this place where we were going to be staying, and there's a major commotion going on. You know when, it is when, when, when somebody's talking just too loudly in your ear? And I turn around, and there's this elderly man, and he's having a conversation with the hotel staff. And the conversation is, I'm here to meet this particular guy. He said he was going to meet me. Where is he? He said he'd be in the, in the, in the lobby, and he, I don't see him. And while he's making this whole tumult, the manager himself is actually trying to deal with this fellow. The next thing, another elderly man comes over, and he says, it's me. And these two men embraced, and it was, it was a phenomenal moment. And, of course, it, all of us felt kind of a little bit as if we were invading on their personal space. There was a tremendous amount of emotion. And the guy turns around, the one turns around to the hotel manager, and he says, listen, the last time we saw each other was at the end of World War II in our shtetl where we came from. This is our reunion now. So the manager says, please go to the bar, sit down, we'll bring you food, drink, whatever you want, take your time, it's on the house. We then went out and we came back a little bit later as the one guy was seeing the other guy out. And we said, listen, we, we happened to see what happened over there and we, we'd love to hear your story, which they did. I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but the one fellow turned around and he said this. He said that he lost everybody in the Holocaust, every member of his family. And he lives today in Israel. And he has, I think he said, if I'm not mistaken, I don't remember how many children, but he said seven grandchildren, X amount of great grandchildren. And he said, and I'll never forget this line. He said, that is my revenge against Hitler. So this person who asked me the other day, like, you know, I feel like I want to take revenge. To take revenge means that we have to acknowledge what it is that they wanted to destroy. We're a group of people who are supposed to be committed to making the world a better place. That's who we are. Anytime that there's an attempt to eradicate the Jewish people, and there have been many, the Romans, the Greeks, the Crusaders, the Spanish Inquisition, the pogroms, the Nazi Germany, the communists, Islamic fundamentalism, all these various things, we have to understand that it's an attempt to undermine holiness and goodness because that's what we represent. And so to keep that as a focal point of Judaism is not because we're supposed to focus on the loss, the destruction, the devastation. It's because we're supposed to focus on what we represent 
and how we can make sure it does not only not disappear, but to make sure that it becomes stronger, to make sure that our influence on making the world a place of holiness, of morals, of values, of higher authority, of goodness, that that becomes absolutely central. That's why we have a Tisha B'Av every single year, not because we're harping on the fact those Romans, what they did to us. Listen, the Romans are gone. They're gone. Their structures are in complete disrepair. Nobody today speaks Latin as a spoken language. It's it's a has been. So we don't get together every single year on, on Tisha B'Av to talk about those Romans and what they did to us. Obviously, we don't deny that it happened. It's very much a part of our history. But what we do is we say we're focused on the rebuilding. That's very much a part. If you think about it, every single day, every single one of us as Jewish people, if we say our prayers, our prayers include a focus on rebuilding and rebuilding the temple and rebuilding a world of harmony, a world of spiritual focus, a world of holiness. So that's where that's where our focus should be, not a focus on what went wrong. Here, Liz, Liz says, we don't get over it in quotations what we should instead do is <clears throat> what we should instead do is allow these tragedies to compel us to motivate uh, to, uh, to motivate us to lead our best lives both as individuals and as a community or tribe well there you go that's exactly i think that that's exactly on the money that's what we should be doing we should be using the experience of loss the history of the hatred directed towards us as a catalyst to say well what are we going to do differently how are we going to make the world a better place and i think once we contextualize and we understand that for jewish people any kind of genocide against us has never ever been about the quantity of people who were killed that really irks me when people say the holocaust six million jews as opposed to as opposed to what so at a previous time in history when fewer people were killed so it's not such a big deal is that what we're saying no we don't make this an issue of the quantity of people who were the victims we make this an issue of what it represents an issue of what it is that people tried to undermine and what it is that we're going to do to change that. Your thoughts on 34519. I see there's an email here and a bunch of tweets will come to them in a moment. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. So, yes, a lot of different thoughts coming through on this one. I started off the conversation about the fact that there's a controversy surrounding Mark Zuckerberg and his comments about Holocaust denial on Facebook. Then apologizing often saying not that he defends in any way the intent behind Holocaust denial and the fact remaining that it's still allowed on Facebook. And I'm contrasting that with the concept of, well, not just Holocaust denial, but also the fact that sometimes Holocaust maybe seems to be just a little bit too central in our Jewish experience for some. And contrasting or comparing that to the idea that it's now going to, we're coming up for the time of Tisha B'Av where, gee, we're still not over this. 1,948 years later and we're still going to fast, sit on the floor, not greet each other and be pretty morose because the Romans took away our temple. What is the meaning behind all of that? Here on Twitter, at Kokopatsa says, history forgotten is history relived. So that's often the motivation that people say, you know why we have to remember these things? Because we have to remain conscious of what it is that we should never allow to happen again. That's the never again saying, which is absolutely true, that you have to remain conscious, right? You forget what happens and then history repeats itself as much of a cliche as that sounds to be. 
fact of the matter is that people do forget, and the fact of the matter is with our best intentions, it does seem often that history repeats itself. Well, anti-Semitism certainly has a resurgence in the world today with all of our never-again um, slogans. So even when history is remembered, sometimes it's repeated. Rene says, Holocaust denial is unacceptable in this day and age, and it is the time to act when Mashiach comes, we'll be able to relax. Okay? Rene, um, we'd like to hear maybe some suggestions on what you think it is that we should be doing. Here's another one on Twitter, HB Schmo. How's that for a name? Says, one gets over loss of material items, even physical remains. One never gets over the loss of relationships. We'll never get past the loss of the holy souls torn from us during any persecution, nor of the unique and close relationship with the Almighty that was consummated in the temple. Now, there's a thing. I'm really glad that he brought this up because there is a thing that I think we need to talk about a little bit. You know, there's a terrible misconception. I believe we spoke about this once before on the show at around about this time of the year. It's a terrible misconception that people have that Tisha B'Av is the mourning over the destruction or the loss of a building. And it so happens that the building represented, of course, Jewish self-determination, and it was in our capital city in Jerusalem, and it was a place of religious instruction and ritual. But when people think that we're mourning the destruction of a building, that's when you have somebody made the comment to me earlier today where people say, maybe that was an important positive step in the evolution of Judaism. Almost as if to say Judaism has improved subsequently. And I think I would be really, really careful with that. Really, really careful. You know, every time that a person passes away, we say Kaddish. And when we say Kaddish, what we're saying is not memorial prayers for the person who passed away. In fact, there's no mention of the concept of death. So what are we saying when we say Kaddish? We're saying, may God's name be made great. And one of the beautiful explanations of that is that the loss of every human life, any time one of us passes away, God forbid, Hashem's name is somewhat, God's name is somewhat diminished in this world. Now, Tisha B'Av, is a day that we focus on the fact that God used to be a lot more apparent. That's what the temple, that's what the base Amigdash was all about. It was about divine revelation. It wasn't about a central gathering point of Jews with a big brocha afterwards. It wasn't about the fact that we had uh, the, all of us living in the same country. It wasn't about the fact that we had great Jewish leaders, which we really did, at, uh, certainly during a, a large portion of the temple era. Great prophets, great sages, authors of the Talmud, the early Talmud. It's not about that. It's about the fact that here is a place where a lot of what goes on in today's world could just not happen in that context. A lot of what goes on, a lot of the hatred in the world just couldn't happen. You walk into a place like that and you feel absolutely tangibly that God is there. You you know, the temple was a place of miracles. You went any day of the week and you could see miracles happening there in front of your eyes and it were guaranteed and they would happen daily. It was a place where you went to literally switch on a higher dimension of your own self. It was a place where you felt connected, where you knew God. You didn't believe only. You knew God. And the Talmud famously says that if the nations of the world would have been aware of just how much blessing, just how much blessing the nations of the world received via that temple, they would have sent their armies to protect it. In other words, for us, 
the temple in Jerusalem was not a place of Jewish ritual. It was a place, a divine tuning fork for the whole world that was going to benefit everyone, every nation. You hear that? Every single one. In the same way, that's what we believe our mission, the Jewish nation, is the human version of that temple. That temple was a geographical location where godliness would be tangible and real. And as a result of that, people would, leave, would live an elevated life. That's who you and I are supposed to be. We're supposed, you know, people often use that expression, we're supposed to be a light unto the nations. That's what it means. The temple was a light unto the world. That's why a key factor of the temple was the menorah, the candelabra, which, by the way, had to be placed in such a way that it should be a symbol to the whole world that this is a place of divine presence and divine light. That's what we're supposed to be. And if you actually think about it, the destruction of that temple in Jerusalem 1,948 years ago became the catalyst for Jews being able to share that light in the whole world. Because as long as there was a temple in Jerusalem, why would any Jew venture much further than the borders of Israel? Because this was the epicenter of your life. You had nowhere else to go. Now we're everywhere. So the morning is not about Morning. It's not about the fixation of what went wrong or the people who were the perpetrators. It's not about that. We should not define ourselves based on the tragedies that we've had. But it is very much about what do we do? What's missing? There's a very powerful statement that our sages make. Any generation that does not see the rebuilding of the temple in its time is akin to having lived through the destruction of the temple. Can you imagine that? In other words, what we're saying is, it's, it's not like we had a beautiful gift and then it was taken away. Now we'll be all nostalgic and talk about the good old days and oh, if only. This is a proactive thing that as Jewish people we're supposed to be always focused on. How do we make the, the world a place, not where never again where there will be no genocide against us Jews, there will be no further anti-Semitism. That's not a Jewish perspective. That's quite a selfish perspective actually. Our perspective is that there should be never again any violence against any person, that there should never again be hatred against any person, that there should never again be a world where people who have have no sensitivity for people who don't have, where people are so self-absorbed that they look the other way when an, another person is in distress. That's what we say never again. That's what Tisha B'Av is all about. So yes, of course, there are halachic parameters that we have to follow that tell us to conduct a sense of mourning at this time of the year and specifically on Tisha B'Av itself. But let's not be superficial about it and think, well, that's because, just because it's a terribly sad day. Tragedies happened on the, this day, and we're going to remember those tragedies, and we're going to be all morose about it. That's not a Jewish attitude. Jew, Jews are the comeback people. Think about it. We've bounced back from all kinds of absolutely horrific things, and every single time, always with the attitude, it's kind of built into our psyche that says, I'm not going to sit here and tell everybody what kind of a victim I am. I'm going to sit over here and think about what I could do to make the world a better place and i think that that's that's what this time of the year is about that's why interestingly the shabbos this coming shabbos which by the way coincides with the date of tisha B'av, and therefore the fast has to be postponed because you can't fast on shabbos this shabbos is called shabbos chazoin the shabbos of vision because when you're about to confront the history the litany of the tragedies of the jewish people you need to retain vision not just to see 
what was, but to see the meaning behind what was, and most importantly, to see what can, w- should, and will be. Your thoughts, 34519. Join Rabbi Ari Shishler for some fresh thinking every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of power. Here's Sean on Twitter who says, Mourning a national tragedy, as we do on Tishabav, should be an instrument that drives us forward as a nation, not something that holds us back as individuals. Very nicely said. And Sean always does have a nice way with words. That's really nice. SMS over here from, I don't know exactly how I'm supposed to pronounce this word. It looks like it's Gisela, Gisela. Um, uh, was here a second ago. Don't know where that SMS went. So, yeah, you see, even Craig's battling. Oh, there we go. We got it back. Thank you very much. So the SMS, yeah, I think it's from Gisela. I think that's how you pronounce it. It says, many people do this, and it is very wrong and sad. I'm appalled by it. I'm a German man. I think that's what it means. I'm a German, <laughs> not German man. Got it, German. And always feel guilty about it and must never be forgotten. So that is from Gisela. That's why I was conf- confused because German got broken up into two words. So I wasn't sure if it was Gisela or not. Thank you for that SMS. And we really appreciate it because I think that that is a very important observation and very meaningful coming from somebody who is themselves um, um, talking about the context of Holocaust. So that's really, really interesting. In a couple of minutes, just to a lot of messages. Don't know if we're going to get through all of them. So we'll just, uh, I think, wrap it up like this. It is a time of the year where I think we are supposed to be a lot more conscious of what is missing rather than be conscious of what was taken away. Do you see the difference? When you focus on what was taken away, you live in the past. When you focus on what's missing, you could be motivated to do something in the present to make a difference to the future. And that's where we're supposed to be. You know, it's so interesting because here we are. We talk about Tisha B'Av, saddest day in the Jewish calendar, and everybody forgets the fact that we're taught it is the day of the birth of Moshiach. Moshiach, of course, being the promise of a far better future, the promise of a world without hatred, the promise of a world without disease. I mean, it, it sounds beyond what anybody could even wrap their heads around. And when do we tie in the birth of Moshiach Specifically to the time of Tisha B'Av, to the time of the worst devastation and destruction. I think that, that that's very insightful for us because that, that's where we should be focused. We have to recognize, we have to understand that the world that we're living in right now is not as it should be. You know, every time a, a, a groom under a chuppah smashes that glass, that's a reminder the world's not like it should be. It's not a perfect picturesque setting. A wedding might feel that way. It's just not. There's something missing, something broken. And we're the ones who are going to fix it. And we're told that a fast day is first and foremost a time of potential, a time of great opportunity. Uh, it's a time where, where God, so to speak, is open to our uh, prayers, to our petition, and most importantly to our Good deeds. So I think that this is a time of the year that we should be talking not so much about, oh, those terrible people out there who deny the Holocaust. Oh, that horrible thing that happened to us, those terrible people who did things to us through the course of our history. Always remember, it's very important because that gives us context. As we saw earlier, somebody said, if we forget history, we relive history. At the same time, though, we need to understand that it's not about past. It's about us and what we should be doing what we could be doing. And I think that that's one of the wonderful things about Judaism is that it's an empowering 
way of life that says you can make a difference. We're going to give you these days on the calendar to draw your attention to different parts of life that you can improve, that you can make a difference. So it's literally about the next good thing that we do, the next act that we undertake to make this world a place of holiness, a place of awareness of God, a place of morality, a place of goodness. That's how we'll fix the gaping hole that the Holocaust left, the gaping hole that the destruction of our temple left. And please, God, that's how we'll action the coming of Mashiach. And we really hope that that will happen even before this Tisha B'Av. So have a wonderful Shabbos, hopefully a meaningful and directed perception of the Tisha B'Av experience. And please, God, we should always share only good things.